2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. But at my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me in order that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will deliver me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The Apostle Paul was in jail in Rome on two different occasions. And there are some who have uh, challenged that. Uh, when I was pastor over at North Fort Worth, I had this guy in my church who had his, he, he, got, he, he got his mind messed up in the war. And he uh, was thoroughly confused. His name was George King. And George was in my pastor's class. I was talking in there about Paul being in jail in Rome and Paul being in jail in Rome. I, I talked about that often. One morning I drove up in my driveway to go in my office at church and George was waiting on me. And he, when I got out of the car, he said, uh, Paul's not in jail in Rome. And I, you know, I just kind of you know, said, what? He said, Paul's not in jail in Rome. He said, I went over there last night and uh, they told me that he wasn't in jail in Rome. Well, there is a Rome, Texas, <laughs> spelled R-H-O-M-E. It's about 20 miles north of Fort Worth, and George hitchhiked over to Rome, Texas, walked in the jail, and asked to see Paul, the apostle. Well, he'd never heard of him over there. Well, if you can take my word for it, the apostle Paul was in jail in Rome. And we all like to find out that we have some, uh, uh, something in common with great people. And we, we'll go to any extreme to find out that we have something in common with greatness. You, you may know, of course, that, that I played high school football against Bob Lilly. You did know that, you know, the all-pro tackle of the, of the Dallas Cowboys. He played for the mighty uh, Throckmorton Greyhounds and I played for the Mighty Monday Moguls. I wonder if any of you saw any of those games. <laughs> well, good. I can tell you then that I worked him over. I mean, I pushed him around like a toy. We all like to, we all like to find out that we have something in common with great people. I discovered not long ago that I have something in common with the Apostle Paul. We've both been in jail. Now, the Apostle Paul was in a jail in Rome. Now, I've not been in a, you know, a jail that has stone walls and, and prison bars, but we've all been in jail nonetheless. We've all had our own bondages. Um, we've all been in bondage to sin. When the Apostle Paul said, There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. F.F. Bruce translates that, There is therefore now no prison sentence to those who are in Christ. For in Christ Jesus men have been set, out of, set free from prison. They've been released from bondage. And there are various kinds of bondages, jails or prisons. That is, those, those things that prohibit us from the realization of our dreams, 
those bondages that prevent us from fulfilling our ambitions. It might be the prison of some illness or depression, that black hole that some of us have fallen into from time to time. And some of us are in the bondage of some offense. Somebody has offended us and we've never been able to get over it and our lives have just come to a screeching halt. We've all been in some kind of jail or the other. There are some people who give the impression or the idea that their life has just lived on a cloud and on a mountaintop. I'm sorry, I can't say that. For I'm here to tell you that there have been times when I've lived in a pit. You might not be one to describe the experience of your life as a prison, but I'm sure that some of you have spent a few hours in the pit. That's where he was. Now you'd think that the Apostle Paul would, have, would receive better treatment than he's getting. He ought to get a little special consideration from God, don't you think? After having given his life to the spread of the gospel, but here is this man languishing away in a prison. And there are noble, noble hands to care for him, no loving people to support him there. He's abandoned and in a pit. And he gets a perspective from there that he shares with us. I uh, heard a story one time of a woman who, a young woman who married this guy and, and he was in the military and they got transferred to this out of the way remote place on the backside of nowhere. And she was lonesome and homesick. So she wrote her father to say that she was leaving her husband and coming home. Her father wrote back this, these words, simply this. Two men were in prison. One looked out and saw the stars. The other looked out and saw the bars. What he was saying was this, that it is not where we are that really matters, it's the perspective we have on where we are. So prison perspectives, a view from the pit, number one. From the pit you discover that people are often fickle and their loyalty is often fleeting. You can't put, you, you can't put you know, you can't stake your life on people. They're often fickle. The Apostle Paul said, at my first defense, nobody stood with me. Everybody deserted me. And I think this might be some of the saddest words he ever wrote. Now we know that when he was in prison the last time in Rome, Luke was there. So what he's talking about are these people of the Roman church, these people of nobility, for the gospel had already extended all the way into Caesar's palace. And there were people in Rome who could have been very strategic in his defense. Nobody was there. All of these noble people, all of these church folks for whom he had sacrificed found that they had business somewhere else, you see, because, you know, it's not always safe to be associated with a guy like him. I want to say three things about that briefly. First, is that we need one another. We may not realize that, but we do. I don't think it's possible for a man to live the Christian life by himself. 
I said last Sunday, I don't think that it is possible for a person to comprehend the love of God in its fullness by yourself. So therefore, you'll never find the word saints in the New Testament in the singular. It's always in the plural. For God knows that the way that we discover the fullness of the Christian life is in the unity and the fellowship of the church. We can't live the Christian life alone. It was not intended for a man to live alone, God said. It, is not, it was never meant for man to die by himself. I got a call one afternoon, a funeral director from Marietta asked me if I'd perform a, if I would conduct a graveside service for a lady out here at Highland. I agreed to do that. Got out there, a cold, bitter cold day to bury this little lady who had been brought back from Norman and put in a nursing home and then transferred to Marietta and died alone. They said for years they had never been able to identify any family or friends. She lived for years, 20 years, never had a visitor. And I stood out there on that hillside in Highland Cemetery. There were three of us, a representative from the nursing home and the funeral director and me. And I put that little lady in the grave, the county buried her, and I said a scripture in a prayer and turned away with a realization that it was never meant to be like that. God never meant for man to live his life by himself. We need one another. And when one suffers, we all suffer. When one member of the body suffers, the entire body suffers. A few years ago, I got a dry socket when I pulled a tooth. Now the pain was there, but my hands didn't want to do anything. And the pain was there, but my feet didn't want to go anywhere. And the pain was in my jaw, but my ears didn't want to hear anything. My eyes didn't want to see anything. I want to get in a bed and cover up and die. I hurt so bad. For the pain was there, but the whole body felt it. We need one another. Second thing I need to say is this, that it is a sin to abandon a brother in need. Did you hear what Paul said? Did you hear his prayer? He said, Lord, I just pray that you will not charge this to their account. What was he saying? Was saying is this, what he was saying is this, that when we abandon our brother in need or we cast an uncaring eye in the direction of the suffering, God holds us accountable for that. It's a sin. And way off in the distance we hear the echo of Jesus when he said, Depart from me, for I never knew you. For when I was in prison, you visited me not. And somebody protests, when did we see you in prison? He said, when you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. The Apostle Paul said, when somebody's overtaken in a fault, criticize him, condemn him, reject him, put him out. No, he didn't say that. He said, when somebody is overtaken in a fault, when a brother's in the pit, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, understanding that were it not for the grace of God, that could be you. It is a sin to abandon our brother in need. Third, if it is a sin to abandon your brother in need, it is also a sin to be bitter when you're abandoned. I love the spirit of the apostle. What a prayer. He said, Lord, I hope you will not lay this to their account. I mean, these are the people that had left him in the hour of his greatest need. What a spirit. 
it is also a sin to be bitter. The one thing that, we, that the people outside the pit have in common is that they don't understand what it's like in the pit. And sometimes the reason why people neglect you when you're suffering is because they just don't know what it's like to suffer. Prison perspective. You can't trust people because oftentimes they're fickle and their loyalty is fleeting. Secondly, from the pit you discover that even though people are fickle, God is faithful. And this is what he said. He said, everybody abandoned me in the hour of my need, but God didn't. I hope there is one thing that I'm able to communicate as the pastor of this church, and it's this, that even though it looks like God is not good and faithful, He is. And that where people often fail you, God never will. There's kind of a good news and bad news text here. The bad news is, chapter, is verse 16, everybody forsook me. The good news is God didn't. That in the midst of all of the, you know, all the experiences that can only be defined as prisons and pits, God remains faithful there. He says three things about him. He said, he stood by me. The word stood there in the Greek is the word that describes a mediator. And it's the picture of somebody who stands alongside and whispers in your ear what to say. If you watch the Iran-Contra hearings, you, you saw what he's talking about. As Colonel North um, you know, defended himself before the, at the hearing, there was this guy who stood with him. I mean, there was a man there whispering in his ear what to say. Jesus got all of his disciples together one time. He said, I'm going to tell you what to expect when I leave this world. Because the world hates me, you're going to be hated. Because the world persecutes me, you're going to be persecuted. And you're going to be hailed before magistrates and they're going to persecute you. But don't be afraid because I'm going to fill your mouth with what's to say. It's a tragedy that nobody spoke for the apostle, but it is a triumph that somebody spoke to him and with him. The Lord stood with him. And so you've cried out, I can't bear this any longer. I can't take any more of this. God says to you, you haven't touched the hem of the garment of my grace. I'll just keep putting grace in you. Apostle Paul knew that from first-hand experience. So he had this thorn in the flesh. And the scripture says he requested the Lord three times that that thorn be removed. It's a Greek idiom that means that he kept on crying, Lord, remove this thorn. One day the Lord finally had enough of it and said to the Apostle Paul, this is a loose translation called the Tidwell Paraphrase. He said, Paul, you think that the solution to your problem is the absence of the thorn. That's not the solution to your problem. The solution to your problem is the abundance of my grace. I'm not going to remove the thorn. I'm just going to heap grace on top of grace on you. And the Lord strengthened him. And he says in verse 17, He delivered me from the mouth of the lion. He's talking about the Roman emperor. 
That's what the Jewish Christians called him, the lion. And, and, and harkens back to the deliverance of Daniel from the lion's den. It was a kind of a secret way of describing him. And at the first defense, the apostle Paul was delivered from the mouth of the lion. He was rescued from the Roman emperor. And he says in verse 18, he will deliver me from every evil thing. Now I know what some of you may be saying. Well now preacher, didn't you say that, that these are the last words that Paul wrote? That's right. When he wrote these words, his head was lying on a chopping block. And the guillotine was about to come and separate his head from his shoulders. So Walter Wally said, that's a pretty harsh remedy, but it sure does cure a headache. I mean, the guillotine was about to cut his head off. The Apostle Paul said, he's faithful to deliver me from every evil thing. You might be saying, well, he didn't deliver him from that. Did he, did he fail him? No. If he didn't deliver him from the guillotine, it must not be a bad thing. Watch this carefully. Spurgeon was right when he said, when you can't trace his hand, you can trust his heart. Watch this. If the Lord delivers you from something, it, might, it must not have been a good thing. If the Lord doesn't deliver you from something, it must not have been a bad thing. Well, you see, God uses a different dictionary from us. What we call tragedies, He calls trials. From the pit, you discover the faithfulness of God. Third, from the pit, you discover the fruitfulness of the pit. Now, here's what Paul said. He said, and He strengthened me in order that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear. Now this is what Paul is saying. He's saying that, that through me the, the proclamation of the gospel extended to the Gentiles. Indeed, he's saying, through my imprisonment the gospel was preached to the Gentiles. And what he's saying is this, that had it not been for the prison, for the jail's term, his ministry would not have been fulfilled. I want to say that again. Had it not been for this, what he called, what we call a tragedy, had it not been for that, his ministry would not have been completed. Sometimes, folks, the fulfillment of the ministry is accomplished in the most horrible places. Sometimes your ministry is not fulfilled apart from the pit. Now we cry for the Lord to get us out of this. James said, count it all joy when trials come because it is in the trial, through the trial, that you're perfected. Now watch. If a person commits his life to Jesus Christ and he says to God, I, I, I give you my life and I, I want you just to use me and, and, and get glory in my life. Uh, here's my life. I surrender it to you. If he does that, then he can believe that everything that happens to him is the fulfillment of that prayer. And if you find yourself in the pit after having prayed that, you have a right to assume that God is using that to answer your prayer and completing and fulfilling 
your ministry. One last thought. It is in the pit where we learn how to really praise the Lord. The last part of verse 18 is a doxology, and it goes like this. To Him be the glory forever and forever. If you, do not, if you cannot walk through life with a doxology on your lips, you don't know much about the heart of God. A few years ago when I was pastoring over in Fort Worth where George King was a member, <coughs> I, uh, I got a kind of a burden for the prison, prison ministry, the prisoners down in Eastham Unit. There's a lady in my church who had a relative who was, a, who was in jail, who was in prison down in Eastham Unit, down in East Texas. And the Eastham Unit is the maximum security prison for the state of Texas. All the killers and the murderers and the rapists and all the violent are down there. And she was telling me that there are a lot of families that had never been able to see their, children, their, their, their loved ones because mothers that had not seen their kids who were down there in that unit because they didn't have transportation or ways to go. And so I got a brainstorm one day. I, I, I got my church bus. And I got a guy to drive it. And we just you know, announced that we would take people down to the Eastern Unit to visit. And we went over to Fort Worth and we went to the Salvation Army uh, building and, for, and I mean to, to Dallas to the Salvation Army Center and there were people waiting on us there. We'd gotten the word out and we just got a busload of people and headed down to the Eastern Unit. While he's driving, I was just visiting with these people. He's had a great time. Did that several Saturdays. Got out to Eastern Unit when we cleared, cut, you know, cleared the security gate and went on down there and parked. We got to visit. Some of us got to go in and visit. I'll tell you, it's amazing what you hear in prison. What you hear is profanity. Now we were all sitting in a long line of people and on the other side of this wire uh, partition were the prisoners and back in the background you could see them and hear them and you hear profanity, just all kinds of profanity. You always hear claims of innocency. I mean, I never made a visit down there, but what somebody, you know, came up to me and said, are you the pastor from Fort Worth? And they'd heard about us. And, and after a few visits down there, we just got started getting barrages of letters and, and requests. Give me help. I'm here when I shouldn't be. I'm innocent. I need to get out. Get me a attorney. All that kind of stuff. You hear some of the worst sounds of despair you've ever heard. I took a lady down there, a Mexican lady, whose son had been in prison. He was about 38 years old. He'd been in prison since he was 18. And she had not seen him for about 10 years. And I sat beside her one day. She wanted me to visit with him. I sat beside her. And I, I tell you what, you've not heard sorrow, heartache, and despair till you've, till you've sat you know, and listened to that. It's just a killer. Very seldom do you ever hear anybody praising the Lord. Very seldom do you hear songs of praise. I suppose if you had visited a Roman cell 2,000 years ago, you would have heard the same kinds of things because people have not changed. Down the hall in one cell, you would have heard profanity and bitterness. And you would have heard despair 
ultimate despair. And you would have heard cries of, of uh, innocency. But if you listen real carefully as you make your way down that Roman cell and you'll hear something unusual, song, a doxology being sung. Like a church is going on somewhere. I've read that great book written by prisoner of war by the name of Fletcher who told about being in Vietnam, a prisoner of war. He said they would tie our thumbs behind our back and suspend us from the ceiling so that our toes would just barely touch the floor, barely touch it. And he said we'd hang there until we could stand it no longer and all of a sudden they'd cut us down and we'd fall on that those cobblestone filthy floors and lie there trying to catch our breath. He said one morning after about five years of that I could stand it no longer and he said I was hanging by my thumbs crying for God to kill me and they cut me down and I was lying there praying for my death when off in the distance, he said, I heard church bells ringing in downtown Hanoi. He said, I don't know whether they were really church bells or not, but he said, off in the distance, I heard songs of the faith make your way down that Roman prison hallway, and off in the distance, you'll hear this doxology being sung. This praise going up to God. Now it's easy to praise the Lord when times are, are, are good, but in times of passion and the pit, the praise that comes from the heart has a profound sound. It's a glorious sound. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. And from the prison in Rome came the song of praise. You discover in the pit what it really means to praise the Lord. What it really means to sing. Do I speak to someone this morning who is in the prison? Tennyson said, stone walls do not a prison make, nor iron bars a cage. Some of you abound. You have discovered already who your friends really are, haven't you? U.S. Grant said, the friend of my adversity I cherish the most. For I can better trust the man who would relieve the gloom of my dark hours than the man who stands ready to enjoy the sunlight of my prosperity. You discover who your friends are. And you discovered already that you can't place confidence in men. But you have discovered, haven't you, that God indeed is faithful. Now He may not have thrown open the gates to release you, but in the pit you may have found a new song of praise. And so with Sotsenitsyn we can say, 
I thank God for the blessed prison where I first found the light of his face. Would you pray with me? Father, for those of us who need deliverance, we pray for your help through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Would you look here? I would extend this morning three invitations. An invitation to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. There is therefore now no prison sentence to them who are in Christ Jesus. He will release you from the bondage of your sin and pardon for all your iniquity. An invitation this morning for the rededication of one's life to come to, to terms with where you are in your walk with God and to say, I'm not what I ought to be, what I wish to be, what I once was. I want to come and rededicate myself to Christ. Or maybe somebody to come to say, we want to join your church. This is where God wants us. This is where we want to be. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.